this secularism to tell the story of Jesus. And this year I thought was the most coherent uh, of all the times that we've done it. I'm, I'm very proud of all of you. Like I say, not just those on the scenes, but those behind the scenes who are doing things and nobody sees them doing, but you're calling and just, just everything. Uh, I was kind of amazed at it. And then last night, there were people here past midnight just trying to recover this place. I look at it, I'm amazed. How in the world did you tear all that stuff down, put it away? And uh, I see very few remnants, but I'm not surprised that I see some things that ordinarily you wouldn't see. Just did a superior job. Like I say, I don't want to mention names, but a lot of you just knocked yourselves out. Appreciate so much all of you who did what you could. As one person said to me, well, Jim, that's just a testament to the spirit of the core of this congregation. And I think it is. I think it is. And I feel blessed to be your pastor, really. So thank you in the name of the Lord so very, very, very much. And uh, remember, God willing, we do it next year. And let me say one other thing, and then I'll move on to the message. <clears throat> For those of you who, uh, there's like Awana, there's Vacation Bible School. For those of you who have not been involved, let me say this is one of the best opportunities to assimilate and bond in the congregation. This is a serving, working congregation. Those who have been here for a while, you know that. We're not like a lot of places where we just come and sit on Sunday mornings. It's a very active congregation where people try to serve the Lord in other ways. And if sometimes you don't feel maybe you're quite engaged in the community, this is the way to do it. And a lot of people step up and they do things and they find out that people who they didn't even know after the event are friends. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the whole congregation. So let me pray and thank God. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the people that you've given us, people who aspire to serve, people who want to make a witness in this secularized community, a witness to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, a witness to the Son of God and what these holy days are all about. And we feel that that got done rather successfully. And uh, we praise your name for the spirit that you put in the people that you've given us. We pray your blessing upon them during this Christmas season. Keep them safe. Keep them well. And we pray, our Father, that as we prepare to enter a new year, we might do it with new energy and enthusiasm. Now we pray that this service may serve its purpose and that the gospel of Jesus Christ may go forth and be heard under the influence of the Spirit of God and draw men and women, whether on our streaming service or here, to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, breaking news. Human beings are so fickle. 
I'm sure nobody knew that. <laughs> what is in today, you figured out, is out tomorrow. Entertainers, for example, or celebrities who are hot today are stale tomorrow. You ever see that? They just, whatever happened to them? Wait a minute and a new fashion will be dated shortly. If you were trying to keep up, we'll wake up tomorrow and it's gone. In this long chapter is a case where briefly Jesus was wildly the popular choice of the people in the Galilee area after he miraculously fed 5,000 men alone. We don't know how many women and children were involved with five loaves and two fish. At first they were stunned and amazed. Then they got the hot idea that maybe he could be with their support, he could with their support parlay that miraculous divine power into a challenge to Roman power and authority. The text tells us the previous one that they wanted to seize him and with his supernatural endowments to set him up as their messianic king, the new David, and overthrow their Roman masters. But they didn't understand Jesus. Just like people, it's everything that goes around comes around, just like it is in our culture. They didn't have a clue about Jesus. But he did not come the first time to change the political regime in Israel. But he came into the world to bring the Jewish people and others to God, to be the Savior of all who would trust in him. He didn't come to change the political landscape, just like he didn't come to restore America. Once he burst their bubble on that score, they lost their enthusiasm for him. These people were now not just overnight. They were not so fond of him now as he escaped their intentions. And when he challenged their materialistic welfare state agenda, then they grew less enthusiastic. And in this rest of this chapter, many of them grew openly hostile. Well, this against the backdrop of something it's been said that both the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. They were too in that day. And what is today called the great resignation, particularly among the young, is confirmed desperation. From the desperate city, you go into the desperate country and you have to console yourself as one famous writer said, with the bravery of minks and muskrats. Our greatest pretenses are built up not to hide the evil and the ugly in us, but our emptiness. People like to hide that. The hardest thing to hide is something that is not there, said a dock worker philosopher, Eric Hoffer, back in 1954. The Greeks used to say, Interesting that a wise man, wise person, is a sad person. Not because it has to be that way, but because without the knowledge of God, without the knowledge of Christ, the reality is that life is a dead-end street, 
a comedy of the absurd. And the older and more experienced one becomes, one sees that all those youthful myths and illusions were just that. What starts in the womb winds up in the du in dust and ashes, no matter what happens in between. That's pretty disillusioning if you don't know God. So given all the brokenness and bustedness of human life on this planet, all the emptiness and despair that's out there, all the vain pursuits of some for some kind of life and peace, why isn't there a huge rush to Christ for life of that more abundantly. It's interesting. For people who don't know Christ, life is just a desperate struggle to wring blood out of a turnip, to find, to find life where there is no life, to find lasting meaning in little deceitful bursts of transient significance. Life is a race, for most people, life is a race to outrun death. The Bible says that the fear of death drives people. People are trying to find life, not just in the sense of staving off our date with the grave, but trying to fill that strange gnawing void that is a symptom of man's estrangement from his creator. In short, people are looking for some kind of bread or artificial life to, or support system to make life meaningful. Jesus spoke directly to man's plight in John 6 and to his constant vain pursuit of bread. It's the same thing. Bread that could not sustain him. And then he pointed to himself in this chapter what we're looking at today, and the rest of it as the bread of life. A day earlier, Jesus had amazed this hungry crowd that numbered, as I said, well over 5,000 men alone, fed them with five loaves and two fishes, turned over to him by a little lad whose mother had packed him a lunch. Jesus fed the whole throng. In the history of the gospel message, what is the primary point of resistance to people turning to Christ for salvation? There it is. So people are broken, people are hurting, people are desperate, people are kind of crazy. This time of year, which brings up so much vomit, even though for all of its hope. So, why don't they rush to Christ? That's the question. After almost 60 years in the ministry, boy, I know that. You can share with them the hope that's in Jesus Christ. What I confront as a pastor, I've seen it for, as I say, 60 years. I don't confront too many people who are just simply broken and hurting. Pastor, <laughs> I just need hope. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's not what I encounter. 
I encounter people who are desperate, broken, and busted. Then more who don't admit it. But no, I don't want that solution. And they don't want it because human beings, as the New Testament shows us, human beings are intensely self-righteous. They want a merit-based program. They want to be able to come to God and say, here are all the good things I've done. Here's the kind of nice person I am. Accept me as I am. They will not come to Jesus as the bread of life, no matter how bad life gets. Of course, some do because the Spirit of God is working in their hearts to do that. Well, let's read this passage here in John chapter 6, down to verse 35. All right, we start here in verse 22. The next day, that was after this miracle, the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea, they finally figured out, they couldn't figure out what happened to Jesus. They wanted to ramp up what went on the day before. They saw that there was no other small boat there except one. They knew that Jesus had not entered that one with his disciples into the boat and that his disciples had vamoosed. There came other boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the multitude therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they uh, themselves, they got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And they found him. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, Master, Teacher, when did you get here? How, how, how did you negotiate that transit? He didn't tell them about walking on water. I want you to notice, Jesus, you think I'm direct sometimes. The Lord Jesus is so direct. He just skates around peripheral issues. He didn't Google it for them and tell them, well, it went this way and it went that way. That wasn't the issue. He went to the heart of the issue. Look, I know what this is all about. I know what you people out there want. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs of my messianic identity, that I was the one from God, from heaven, the Son of God. But you got your belly filled. You ate of the loaves and were filled. Now you want to be on a welfare program. Bang! He went right to the heart of it, no messing around. Then he says next in verse 27, look, here's my advice to you. And through him, here's my advice to all of us. Do not work, verse 27, for the food which perishes. It's transient. It won't sustain you for very long. But work for food 
which endures to eternal life. You're on a wrong plane. You're seeking life and you're seeking it more abundantly through material things, transient things. In this case, food. You want a free lunch like so many people. Look for that food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's him, which the Son of Man shall give you. For our Father in heaven, even God, he has set his seal upon me. The only place you're going to get this is right here, Jesus says, through me. It's the only way you're going to have eternal life. I say through him, for him, in his behalf, to anybody here this Christmas season who doesn't know Jesus. I know what you're looking for. God knows what you're looking for. You're scrapping around here, scrapping around there. Oh, Christmas, buy a new car, and that'll excite us for 10 years. Oh, Ma will get a new house. That'll make everybody happy. Or we'll take a vacation. We're going to take a worldwide cruise and go all around. That'll set our lives on fire. None of that's going to work. None of that's going to pacify that hole in the heart. That's just styrofoam. It won't fill it. But yet that's what people tend to do. In this case, the food is real, but it's kind of a metaphor of the problem that people are looking for all of these earthly palliatives to try to make themselves happy, to find some kind of fulfillment, to find at last some kind of meaning. Somebody is lonely and they want a husband or they want a wife. You can think of a thousand illustrations. It's not going to turn the trick. It's not the key that will unlock the door to life and that more abundantly. It is found and it is only found life eternal in Jesus Christ upon whom the Father has set his seal and sent into the world. You can hunt from now till eternal. It's not a, another church. It's not another religion. It's not anything. It's in Jesus Christ. Christianity is Christ. And that's God's message to every one of us. Jesus said, you're looking the wrong places. You're trying to find the wrong things. You could find the wife you're looking for. She may be wonderful, but she's not going to bring you that. You could find the husband you've always wanted. It's not going to bring you that. You could find the job. This is a good job pays well, has good benefits, working around good. It's not going to do it. You can find that dream house. It's not going to do it. Did you ever find about houses and cars, what I found? We haven't had, I think, but about three of them. But you get in them, you love them. You have all your friends over. You have your dinners. Show them your place. Six months later, it's what? It's just another stupid house. <laughs> and a car with all the sh mag wheels, you know, all of that. You've run it up and down the streets. All your neighbors have seen it. Yeah, they've seen it all. Or you do this remodeling job. Everybody's seen it by now. And it's just another car, another truck. It doesn't do it. 
there's only one thing that gives you life and that more abundantly and gives you life eternal. And that is a relationship by God's grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, life is, becomes a dead-end street. And you're running around most of the time. I'm talking to those who don't know Christ. You're running around most of the time trying to hide it. You're not advertising it. It's a terrible thing. So it's in him. It's not in drugs. It's not in alcohol. It's not any of that stuff. You get a high, and then it's gone. Then you got to have another one. Then you got to have another one. Then you got to have another one. Money, money, money. And then you got to steal money and things. Sad. Then you lose your kids. Then you lose your wife. Everything goes, you know, where in a handbasket. Well, disappointed in their hope that Jesus would be their political Messiah. They thought that would settle everything for them. Jesus tells them that's not the way it's going to be. Jesus says, notice the verb here. Do not work for the food that perishes. That's what nearly everybody on this planet is doing. One way or another, they're trying to work on a merit system to do something that they think will satisfy themselves and something that will, in the end of the day, please God. They know they're not perfect. They don't even pretend to be perfect. But they look at you and me and others and they think, well, I'm as good as that person. I've got as much going for me as they do. If there's a God, and most people still do believe in God, but if there's a God, if you incline to maybe become an atheist, if there is a God, you've heard people, I've heard people say it outright. If he's just, I've got to be included. I've got to be given a pass not going to happen. But they think in terms of works or merit badges like a Boy Scout. And I'm going to have a merit badges. I'm going to become an Eagle Scout before God and earn my way in. Not going to happen. So Jesus says, he uses that verb, do not work for food which perishes, but work for food which endures to eternal life. Let's camp on that word work for a minute. Jesus is playing on that word. They resonate with that word like all good Jews did. That's the way they thought. We call it legalism. And they were legalistic to the core, but so are most other people, but in a different way. I'm a good person. I feel good about myself. Yeah, I know, I know, I'm not. I'm not perfect. I've slipped a gear here and there, but I'm a good person. God knows I'm a good person. So he can't condemn me. He can't send me to hell. There's no way a just God could do that. They think in those terms. Jesus says, you've got to switch gears. I'm telling you to work for that food which is eternal, everlasting, given to you by the one on whom the Father has set his seal. 
Well, they respond to that using their own language. They say, yeah, yeah, well, tell us, what is the work then that we should do to please God and earn his acceptance and earn the gift of eternal life? What, what should we do? What should we do that we may work the works of God? And they were expecting him to say something like the Ten Commandments, keep all of those. Do this, do that. Some other thing that maybe they hadn't thought of. Keep all the Jewish rituals. All the things that Jews were depending upon. In verse 30, they therefore said to him, sorry, in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, Got your ears on? Listen. And through him I say to all here in this audience, this is the work of God. What is this? That you believe in him whom he has sent. Trust in him. I say to every man and woman, boy or girl sitting in this audience, what does God want? God wants one thing. This is for starters. This is for salvation. He wants one thing. He wants you to humble yourself before him to admit that you are a sinner, that you are lost, you are corrupted, you're broken in sin, to admit that you've lived your whole life outside of his will, to admit that you need a Savior, and to trust in Jesus Christ as a Savior that God has sent and upon whom the Father has set his seal. He wants you to do that. So many people are just proud. I mean, they can't think of themselves. They cannot think of just, I'm not talking about physically doing it necessarily, though that's not bad. with all of our badges and all of our trophies and all of our social status and all of our money, all of our big cars and big houses and all of that, just humbling themselves. And with figurative tears, if not literal tears, just saying, I messed up. I'm broken from birth. I've lived outside the plan and will of God. I need a Savior. I need pardon. I need forgiveness of my sins. That's an act of faith. That, as I always say, is the first step of faith. To admit. The second is, Jesus is the Savior. Right there, you become a Jesus freak. Amen, brother. Right there, you become a radical. You want to talk about being a radical? That's radical in this world. Right there, you've gotten in the face of the devil. You've gotten in the face of the world and say, no way, no more of that. I'm for Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to take up my cross and follow after him. I believe in Jesus. I trust in him and no one else, nothing else. All my works are as filthy rags. That's a biblical phrase. All of my self-righteousness is a bunch of puke. The only thing that matters is the gift of eternal life 
you're the son of God. That's all that matters. I'm not counting on my righteousness. I'm counting on his, which is donated by God to me, imputed to me as if it were my own. And my sins are cleared away. Now all of a sudden, they do what unbelievers often do. They invent an excuse to put off Jesus. Now just remember, he had, he had fed the 5,000. What more do they need? But now in verse 30, they said therefore to him, Okay, buddy. That's a pretty big claim you're making. Show us. They were all from Missouri. Show us then. What do you do for a sign? What did he just done? You ask, what has Jesus ever done for you? He died on a cross. And he rose from the dead. There's your sign. It reminds me of those, what's that comedian, Jeff Foxworthy? You know, there's your sign. He died for you. Of course, he's going to, and he's going to rise again. He had done this whole plethora of signs and wonders. And now they have the husband to get up and say, well, show me something. What sign do you produce to show that you're who you say we are and we ought to put our trust in you. That's in verse 30. What work do you perform to spin our eyes and our head? Then they adduce this in verse 31. Our fathers, going back to the time of Moses when they were in the wilderness, our fathers, you remember, they said to Jesus, they ate manna in the wilderness. And as they start quoting scripture to Jesus. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Show us. He had just done it. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 32, you've got it wrong. Actually, it was not Moses who gave that man out of heaven. It is my father who did that. My Father has given you bread out of heaven. It is my Father, and what he's giving you today is not manna dropping on the ground for you to collect, but it is my Father who's giving you the true bread out of heaven. That's me. For the bread of God is that which comes down, is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world, not just the Jews, to the Gentiles, to all of us. There you go. You want a sign? That's it. They said, therefore, to him, Well, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, You say you want it? Well, and he says to all here, I am the bread of life that bread which sustains life forevermore. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's the way it is. Now, I get physically hungry, and I get, I get uh, thirsty. All of us do. But Jesus is talking about a hunger and a thirst that is deeper than that. 
Those of you who know the Lord, you can all testify to this. You're not running around craving, wanting something to give you meaning, wanting to find out what you're all about. I've used this illustration many times. I repeat it here for the benefit of any it may help. I'm just speaking as a personal illustration of what applies to so many of you. Ossie and I, we go through like some of you do, like many of you are this very moment. You're in pain. You're hurting, especially maybe at the Christmas season. Maybe you lost a loved one at this season. It's all over you. And it just all comes rushing back. You're facing threats that you don't quite know what to do with. You've got stuff on your plate. But you know what? How can you explain this? You're not hungering and thirsting. You're not in the desert wondering what you're going to do with your life. You wouldn't trade your skin for anybody's on this planet. Sometimes I say, I just wish I could prove that. Find me the richest person in the world. And if I were told, you can have their life instead of the one you've got. No way. That's what Jesus meant when he said, shall never hunger, never thirst. When you find Christ, you found that which at the core gives meaning to life, gives purpose, and gives significance. I'm nobody. I don't have any big trophy. I don't have any big badges. I don't have one thing to go out in front of Lake Oswego and say, look at me. I'm Jim Andrews. They don't give a rip. I'm just a poor dumb pastor as far as they're concerned. But I've got meaning. I've got significance that God has given me. I'm a son of the living God. I'm a child of God in Christ Jesus. I've got life and I've got the more. A lot of stuff I don't have. doesn't matter whether I have. doesn't even matter whether I've got good health. I've got eternal life. I speak for most of you sitting here. You would like this, you would like that, but you don't want anybody's skin except yours. That's what Jesus meant. They shall never hunger, never thirst. I'm not walking around with this deep thirst, just begging somebody to come along and satisfy. Oh, I've got things I wish could happen, pray that they might happen. But no, I'm not going to trade my life away to get those things. I'm fulfilled in Christ. Ossie's fulfilled in Christ. I don't get my fulfillment from her. She doesn't get hers from me. You can understand that one pretty easily. <laughs> but we get it from the living God in Christ Jesus. That's what we've got, Jesus says. That's what's offered to you, and that's what through him we offer to you by his grace through faith. So we move on. Jesus says, verse 35, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes, trusts in me, shall not thirst. Let me talk about that. He who believes in me. You know, let me make that simple phrase as clear as I can. There is a superficial way to understand that's not what Jesus means. He or she who believes in me, and oftentimes we take that in a strictly intellectual sense. 
Do I believe that Jesus was a real person? Do I believe that he came into the world? Do I believe that he was born in Bethlehem 2,100 years ago? Oh, yeah, I affirm all of that as a cradle matter. Well, that's just the beginning. That's not the end of that. That's the way many people believe in Jesus. Do you know what it means to believe in Jesus? It means the same thing only more deeply than it would mean for you to tell me you believe in me. If you believe in me, you take me absolutely serious. If you believe in him, you take him seriously. If somebody believes in me, they'll do what I say. If they believe in me. Or they may say, eh, not so much. If we believe in Jesus, he's the last word. You know the title of my radio program? The final word. He's the final word. If he says it, I believe it. If he says he's this, I believe it. If he says, take up your cross and follow after me, that's exactly my intent by the grace of God. To believe in him is not a creedal matter. Where we stand up as a congregation, we read from a page. No, no, no. Might start there. That's just intellectual. It goes to the heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. He who believes in me. Not hunger. Well, you've got to decide where to put your trust. People do that every day. Everyone sitting here has put your trust in something. I don't know what it is. But most of you, I believe sincerely, you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know God knows. Not me. We can be so churchified, do all that stuff. But it's a personal relationship, not with the church, but it's a personal relationship with him. It's a personal relationship, not with some creed. I don't despise creeds. Some creeds stand up and read a creed or recite a creed. It's not that. My wife tells me, Jimmy, about to lose my watch here, my sense of time. She said, Jimmy, I believe in you. I don't know when you said that last, babe. <laughs> but if she says that, well, then, honey, you're standing there shaking in your boots. That noise which you heard downstairs is not somebody breaking in. Trust me, that was the ice maker. <laughs> Trust me, lay down, go to sleep. Settle out. Trust me, honey. That was it. Jimmy, did you put that money in the bank? Honey, I did. Then she comes back later. Honey, are you sure you put that money in the bank? I said, honey, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? I tell you, I put the money in the bank. Go to sleep. You know, it's that kind of thing. That's the way it is with Jesus. Go to sleep. You know, trust in him. Trust that you're, Lord, are you sure you forgave my sins? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in his blood? Trust me, go to sleep. I've wiped away all your sins. Even that one, even that one. I have forgiven 
all your sins. They're covered under the blood. How do I know that I have eternal life? I told you so. Go to sleep. He offers us the bread of life. He offers you, if you don't know him, the bread of life. Now, what have you got to do? I don't know why this is so hard for people. <clears throat> it's such a simple concept. What have you got to do? Receive it. You've got to receive Jesus. You've got to do the same thing that Aussie and I did at the altar, though after 65 years, she may be starting to regret it. Say, I do. You said, I do, and you meant it. And say it forever, I do. I received him. God knows. He knows the heart. He knows even the things you don't know about yourself. Say, I do. Where can you say, I do? Right there where you're sitting. You haven't even vocalized the words. You don't need to. Not necessarily. You should. But right there sitting in your seat, you can say, Heavenly Father, like the Jews, I'm a sinner. I can't work for eternal life. There's nothing that I can do to produce enough merit that will cause you to say, okay, you're good. That won't happen. All I can do is trust in your Son upon whom you've set your seal, and I'll have eternal life. Right there sitting in your seat, just as you can pray without opening your mouth, you can vocalize that prayer. Say, I'm lost. I need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And I receive him as my own. And you will be saved if you believe him, if you trust in him. I can't do that for you. Church can't do that for you. That's something that you've got to do. But then when you do that, let's say to use that marital analogy, let's say that Aussie and I, when we got married, we ran off, we lived in West Virginia. Over in Virginia, you could get married. I see the light shining on some of you. <laughs> you could run over in the state of Virginia and get married just on a lark. Now it's all quiet. Now we come back and we're proud of it. We're proud that we're married. We're not ashamed. We come back and we do what? Billy Morrison, I see you got a halo back there. <laughs> you come back and you say, we're married. So you say you're married to Jesus Christ. You own him. You're not ashamed of him. And then you follow him in baptism, not because that saves you, but because that expresses publicly what he wants you to express. I've owned him. I trust in him. He's my Savior. He's now my Lord. I want to walk with him. That's all pretty simple, isn't it? But it's like I used to say, I don't think I can do this anymore. Go to my Sunday school class in the balcony. And I tell people, I put one foot on the banister hang the other one over here and say, it's like stepping off the Brooklyn Bridge. It's real simple. But following Jesus is a radical step in this world. It's costly. But take that step. That's what you've got to do. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel through our Lord Jesus Christ. So clear, so plain. And it goes right at the heart, our Father, of the pride that holds people back from receiving him. They always, in their pride, think they've got something to offer you that will impress you and give them a pass without receiving Jesus. We pray that the Spirit of God would demolish any such conception in the hearts and minds of anybody here and anybody listening online. We ask it in the name of our Savior. Amen.